remain standing uh, as we take up the scriptures. Andrew wanted to remind me that we're not going crazy. We're reading the same story twice from different, different passages. Here we go. And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from the region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she is crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, It is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. She said, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. And now from Mark. And from there he arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house and did not want anyone to know. Yet he could not be hidden. But immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth. And she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he said to her, let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, For this statement, you may go your way, and the demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in bed, and the demon gone. The word of the Lord. Let's continue our prayer. Father, we know that you are with us, that you have adopted us, that we are covenant children. We ask, dear God, that you would help us this morning to not just hear the word, but to be obedient and take what it says and apply it to our lives. We ask, dear God, that you would um, give Andrew wisdom, that your spirit would breathe through him to us. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, good morning. Whew. Don't know what we got going on there. It's good to open God's Word with you this morning. Um, we are in this series where we're looking at these various encounters with Jesus, people who come to Jesus. We, we actually started in the book of Matthew. You remember back after the first of the year on Epiphany Sunday, looking at the Magi uh, and how they were drawn to Jesus, these uh, who studied the stars and thinking about them in various ways, their journey to visit Jesus. Along the way, we've, we've met folks like Simon Peter's mother-in-law. We've met folks like Nicodemus, the, the woman at the well. Last week, uh, which was the beginning of our missions 
now turning into two weeks, uh, given our, uh, given the weather that we had this past Wednesday. Um, we we looked at Zacchaeus and and Dan Iverson just did a great job, I think, of, of leading out the the gospel of Jesus that came to seek and to save the lost. And uh, when we were putting this series together, I knew that this was going to be sort of the conclusion of our missions week and. So I wanted to take a look at this this Syrophoenician woman. Uh, David was a little bit worried about his pronunciation on Syrophoenician, but he did an excellent job. Um, But this Syrophoenician woman, a woman who is a Gentile, uh, or as Matthew says, a Canaanite. Matthew, you know, is writing for a Jewish audience, and so he is using Old Testament terms that they would be familiar with. Uh, She is, is somebody who was outside of the people of promise. Uh, which is a big theme for this particular story, and yet the gospel comes to her. And, And this is part of what we recognize as we encounter Jesus ourselves through these stories as we, as we come and we find ourselves at his feet. We realize that the gospel is for all types of people. Uh, it is for people who are, are part of the, the chosen tribe, as it were, in terms of the Israelites, the disciples, all of this. Uh, but it's also for those who are outside. It's for people who think they have it together. It's for people who know that they do not and are desperate to find Jesus. And for everything in between, the gospel is for Uh, All types of people Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. Uh, What I want to do this morning is kind of organize this around crying. There are lots of cries uh, in in the gospel, and we see a couple uh, that are very prominent here in this particular story. Uh, the first is what we what I'm highlighting or, or putting under here. These are the cries of desperation, and there's actually two cries of desperation. There's the the cry of the destitute. And then the cry of the discriminatory. Let me explain those to you, and then we'll uh, we'll draw some observations uh, about them. The cry of the destitute is pretty obvious. It is this woman here. Uh, This woman comes to Jesus. She is a Canaanite, as Matthew says. She's Greek. She's Syrophoenician. So she is somebody who doesn't have standing religiously with a Jewish rabbi. Uh, she is outside of, of that pale, uh, so she's desperate uh, by birth. She's desperate because uh, she has a daughter who is, is sick. She's a, a daughter who is possessed by a demon. I think it's Mark that adds the detail. It's her, her little daughter. So, so this is a child who is, is possessed, obviously it's manifested itself in some way, she knows that. You can imagine what it's like. I mean, we have been there before. It's one thing if you are sick, if you are suffering, it's another thing if it's your kids. Uh, when it's your kids, you, you feel that even more deeply. So the desperation uh, for this Canaanite woman watching her little child suffer. Some have even speculated that, um, you know, she obviously grew outside, 
up outside of Jewish religion. Uh, there are certainly Canaanite deities around. Uh, perhaps it was even her own brush with the demonic that has allowed this demon to come into the household. So, so there may even be an added level of her own guilt that has uh, afflicted her daughter. Either way, there is a desperation over her daughter. She's a woman, uh, which uh, immediately in that culture gives her or devalues her standing. So she's a Canaanite with this desperately sick daughter, possessed, uh, who is a woman. And, and she has no one to advocate for her. I mean, she comes on her own. I don't know. We're not told anything about her husband. But her husband isn't there. Her husband doesn't recognize Jesus in the same way. She is truly, truly destitute in every sense of the word, uh, at least as far as we can see from a cultural perspective. Some of you can relate to that. Uh, we can relate to that just through our own situation, whether it's illness, whether it's a, a family member. We can relate to that just in terms of the relative lack of power or standing that we uh, feel or experience. We, we can put ourselves in the shoes or at least relate a little bit to uh, to this woman. And, and we're, we're shown her desperation. She, she came and she was crying, have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely uh, oppressed. She came before him uh, saying, Lord, help me. She kneels in verse 25. She begs him uh, for the, the grace that she needs. But there are other kinds of cries here, and, and we particularly see this in Matthew's account. I, I wanted you to see both the, the Matthew and the, the Luke account because Matthew really highlights the role of the disciples here, or at least the journey of the disciples. Notice Mark doesn't say anything about it. You know, part of this we, we understand from a Matthean perspective, uh, he has talked about the disciples and their journey throughout. He calls them the, the oligopistoi, the, the little-faithed ones. And, and so he's sort of showing how their own discipleship progresses, how their faith grows as they go. This is another moment where it's not a shining moment. Because they're crying out to Jesus too. They're begging him to send this woman away. Uh, she is disrupting. We're not exactly sure why Jesus is there. Mark tells us he went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon uh, in order to, he entering a house, did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. Uh, so perhaps they had come for some R&R, &R, just getting away from the, the normal everyday hustle and bustle that their life had become. And, and here comes this woman, and she is disrupting that. There, there could be a certain level of annoyance. But we also know, as we've mentioned, you put them together, a Canaanite woman or a Gentile woman, or as Jesus will use the, the common parlance, the, the dogs, as the, uh, the Jews thought of the Gentiles, uh, perhaps these disciples didn't see her 
for the, the image bearer that she was didn't see her as worthy of the grace of God, their own prejudices were coming out. And, and there's some sense that as we walk through this particular story, Jesus is wanting to expose to these disciples their own prejudices and just how deep they go. One writer says that um, this was exactly what Jesus was doing, you know, through, and then makes the connection that, that we too, oftentimes, like these disciples, have our own prejudices with regards to who is worthy to come into contact with Jesus or to be in the fellowship or to be around through their eyes, we may see our own prejudice. We have ideas about who does and who does not deserve God's favor. Racial and ethnic prejudices are most, most obvious, uh, but whatever the prejudice it is, it violates the law of love and causes terrible suffering. Uh, many have ancestors who have suffered such prejudice. Uh, others have ancestors who have perpetrated such prejudice. Some have personally suffered racial or other types of prejudices. Others have practiced such prejudices. But it goes beyond just simply something racial or ethnic like we see here. Uh, we, we examine our own hearts, uh, how we judge people by their speech, their face, their height, their girth, their clothes, their education, their, their cars. You know, it, it is nearly impossible for us, if we are honest, it's nearly impossible for us to break entirely with prejudices uh, that are widespread in each other's culture. And as Jesus deals with as Jesus deals with both this woman, he is also dealing with her, his disciples. And what he is wanting them and he's wanting us to understand is that both of these cries, the desperate, destitute cries of the woman, the discriminatory cries that the disciples have, both of them are in need of the same thing. They both are in need of this expansive love of Jesus, this truth of the gospel that he has come to, to bring, the kingdom that he has come to enact. So those are the, the two cries. We've got the cries to, to send him away, uh, we've, or send her away. We've got the cries of the woman to come. Before we're too hard on the disciples, we, we should note that, you know, Matthew has a little bit of mixed messages with regards to uh, the treatment of Gentiles. Jesus himself actually says in Matthew 10, when he sends out the disciples, he says, you know, go only to the house of Israel. Uh, don't go to the disciples. Although later on in the same chapter, he says, later you will make your testimony before the disciples. As we've mentioned, uh, we've already seen the Magi come. In Matthew chapter 8, the Roman centurion, uh, who is clearly a Gentile, makes his uh, profession of faith in the Lord. So there is some of this going on. 
how do we understand what is going on here? So three observations for you just in terms of uh, understanding how it is that Jesus deals with both of these cries. The first is this, uh, we, we all need Jesus. And, and just as this woman comes and kneels at his feet with a very basic cry. Notice how she first says, have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed. Uh, she comes, she brings her words, she tries to bring her theology, what she knows, which is significant. Uh, you know, she identifies Jesus as Lord. She identifies him as the, the son of David, which would be the Jewish term for Messiah. She tries, she brings all of that, uh, but she ultimately, in verse 25, ends up coming and kneeling before him and simply saying, help. Lord, help me. And, and this is part of what I think the gospel writers want us to see here that if we come to Jesus with that, that simple, honest, desperate cry, it, it moves the heart of the Savior. It, it moves him to, to see. It moves him to move towards us. Uh, it is something that will continually be recognized and to be honored in our lives. So one of the questions that comes to all of us, whether we um, identify more with the disciple or we identify more with the woman, you know, there may be different phases in our life. I mean, that line obviously runs right through the heart of all of us. I mean, we could probably say, yes, I identify with the woman, and yes, I identify with the disciples. Uh, it's probably all true of all of us. But that simple cry, Lord, help. Lord, have mercy. That is what moves the heart of the Savior. The second thing that I, I want to note is just how it is that Jesus gets to this. Matthew gives us a really interesting detail. Um, so she comes and she says, have mercy. My daughter is severely oppressed by the demon. Verse 23, but he did not answer her a word. And it's then into that void that the disciples come and beg him saying, send her away for she's crying out after us. He answers, uh, who is he answering? It's not, it's not clear, we're, we're not told. I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. I think that Jesus is dealing with both of them. Uh, Jesus is dealing with both the woman and her request, and Jesus is dealing with his disciples uh, and, and their request to send her away. And, and he wants to do a couple of things. One, he wants the disciples to think. He wants them to, to go deeper into his mission and who he is. Now, I mentioned Matthew has a little bit of a mixed bag with regard to Gentiles, Jews, the mission of Jesus, all of that. Dan did a great job last week of saying that Jesus gives us his mission statement. He comes to seek and to save the lost. 
But Jesus does give a specific instruction to his disciples in Matthew 10 to go first to the house of Israel. Uh, and then later, he says in chapter 10, verse 18, they will make their testimony before Gentiles. And I think that that is what Jesus is saying here as well. Jesus is uh, giving a nod to his humanity and the fact that he is not enacting the totality of the kingdom in this moment. Jesus was sent as a, as a Jewish man to that particular region, and there were certain limitations on what he was able to do as a Jewish man. Uh, but uh, his mission wasn't only for the Jews. His mission, the kingdom that he came to inaugurate, was also for the Gentiles. And so he wants both of those things to be understood. On the one hand, you know, for the woman, for Jesus to recognize that there, there is an order. Like the gospel has come first to the Jews, and Paul recognizes this as well. You know, when we look in Romans uh, 9, 10, and 11, there is the sense of the Jews were God's chosen people. But it was never to end there, and that's what Jesus wants his disciples to understand. And particularly in the context of both Matthew and Mark, you know, Jesus is coming out of these long discussions with the Pharisees who are, are wanting to emphasize the traditions of the Jewish law. They're talking about cleanliness and uncleanliness, and Jesus says, don't you know it's the heart that matters? What you put into your mouth, that's not what makes you clean or unclean. It's what comes out of your heart. And, and what Jesus is doing here with this woman, particularly in, in his silence and making her wait, is he is drawing out this beautiful expression of faith. This beautiful, persistent, insistent uh, expression of, Lord, help me. I'm coming to you. I have nowhere else to turn. It's you alone that can give me life. And so all of these things are, are going into this process. And one of the things that just was hit with and reflecting on this week is that oftentimes we, like the disciples, like the woman, experience the silence of the Lord. We, we come with our cries. You know, Lord, you know, son of David, have mercy on me. Nothing. Send her away. Nothing. And this silence it is not a non-answer, but it is a specific way in which Jesus is inviting us to press in deeper. Jesus is inviting us to, to think. Jesus is inviting us to, to wrestle, to, to know what it is that, who he is and what his mission about, is about, to, to grab hold of that. Jesus wants us to understand, you know, our own desperate need and the fact that we can't do it on our own. He is inviting that, that deeper penetration of the soul that manifests itself in a recognition, Lord, 
help me. I, I have nowhere else to turn. I, I have the Phoenician god, Esmon, the god of healing, but it's no help. It's only in you, only in you, that I find the hope that I need. And I just, I love the way that Jesus so graciously deals with both his disciples, helps them to see some of their own prejudices, helps them to see uh, some of the ways that his mission is more expansive than they ever began to thought, think about. But I love the way that he draws out and highlights the faith of this woman. She was a nobody in that society, but she saw in Jesus more clearly than the Pharisees, you know, that he had just been dealing with, these people who were teachers of the law that should have known better, but they couldn't see past their tradition. And Jesus says, I want to show you what I mean. You know, that, that it starts in the heart. It's the heart uh, that is the fountain of life. Let me show you what that looks like in this woman. Jesus honors her. The third thing just to observe here about these two cries is that the, the power of Jesus to transform and to heal. Both the disciples, you know, we, we know that these disciples go out and they change the world. Now, it's a continual process. You know, you think about Peter. Uh, there's a very close sort of parallel to uh, this interaction in Matthew, Mark 7 and Matthew 15 with the discussion of clean and unclean followed by the conversion of a Gentile if you look in Acts 9 and 10. So there, Peter, you remember, has the vision of the, the sheet with the clean and the unclean animals, and, and Jesus says, everything that I've made is, is clean. And then you have the, the conversion of Cornelius and his household. Again, a Gentile is brought into the kingdom. And, and it's the same message that Jesus is saying. It's like, there is a power in me you know, in the past, it was always, and we've mentioned this a couple weeks ago, it was always the unclean that contaminated the clean. But with Jesus, it's the other way around. Jesus is bringing a gospel. Jesus is bringing a power. Jesus is bringing a kingdom whereby his cleanliness transforms the uncleanliness, there, it is just the reverse of the Old Testament. And his disciples have got to grasp this. And he, in interacting with a Syrophoenician Canaanite Gentile woman, is showing the absolute power that his kingdom is bringing into this world. But think about the power that Jesus' encounter has with this woman. He I, I sometimes think about you um, 2 and their song, Grace, you know, where they talk about grace, how it, it takes the blame, it removes the shame, uh, it covers the stain. There, there's just such a beauty there, and it's the power of Jesus in this woman's life. All of her guilt, all of her shame, the stain that was attached to her. He, he takes it away. His power is such that he can heal this, uh, this girl from a distance. This is one of the only examples of that in the Gospel of Mark. 
Uh, we see that earlier with the Gentile in, in, Roman, or in Matthew chapter 8, the, the centurion, he heals the servant from a distance. But the power of Jesus to heal, to transform is, is just incredible. How does he do it? How, how does he do it? Well, this is the cry of deliverance. If you look in Mark, actually, if you have your Bibles, uh, Mark chapter 15, this is verse 33. When the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, Behold, he's calling Elijah. And someone ran and they filled a sponge with sour wine and he put it on a reed and he gave it to him saying, Wait, let us see whether Elijah will come and take him down. But Jesus uttered a loud cry and he breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood facing him saw that this way, that in this way he breathed his last, he said, truly, this man was the Son of God. We stand here this morning on the first Sunday in Lent as we begin to look forward and prepare for the cross. We get ready to come to the table as we will uh, each week in the coming weeks. Uh, and we recognize that as loud as the cries of the women, of the woman was, as loud as the, the begging of the disciples was, it was the cries of Jesus on the cross that ultimately wins the day. When he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus takes the shame. You know, there he is on a cross, exposed, naked as it were, literally and, and physically, spiritually, for, for all the world to see, pinned up like a specimen, but taking the shame, the guilt of the world on his shoulders, offering that newness of life that was the answer to the woman's deepest need that would remove the stain of the prejudices of the disciples. But then there's that second cry in Mark. We're, we're not told specifically what it was when we put it together with the other Gospels. We, we recognize that it was that cry to Telestai. It, it is finished, Jesus said. Uh, there is no more condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Not only does he take away the shame uh, by becoming the shame himself, but he takes away our guilt. It's the absolute answer to all of our heart's needs, the cries of deliverance, the cries of Jesus, which match our own cries of desperation and triumph over them. So that's the good news. That's the good news for you. Uh, if you have put your faith in Jesus, if you identify with the cries of this woman, Lord, help me, you will find in Jesus everything that you need. But, and it's Missions Week, it's also the good news that we have to take to the world. I mean, brothers, sisters, friends, 
I mean, here we are, we're, we're thinking about, like, what is it that we want to penetrate the world with? What is it that we want to penetrate Grand Rapids with? Our communities, our families, all of this. How is it that, that we go forward in the very vein of Jesus, taking the shame of others on ourselves in, in order that they might be able to walk up with a head, walk out with their head held high, get pointing them in the direction of their guilt set free. If you are in Christ, you have that power. It, it's not just you that goes out of here. You, you go out of here filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, with His presence. We cannot flee from the Holy Spirit and His presence. We have these devotional books out there. Uh, welcome to take one per family. I hope that you take them and, and use them. I was thinking yesterday, David Powlison was reflecting on Psalm 139. He's talking about God's ongoing presence with us. And we go out with that presence, taking the shame, you know, pointing people to the freedom of their guilt in so many ways. What might that look like? Recently came across a story of uh, Eileen Gray. She was a woman who went through, she's gone through a lot in her life. Um, she was uh, abused by her husband. Uh, she was abandoned by her church. Um, she subsequently got cancer, uh, walked through that journey. And yet, and yet, uh, she remained transformed by her own encounter with Jesus. She came to a point after, you know, decades of, of dealing with abuse, watching her husband go to jail, her former husband. Uh, again, like I said, abandoned by her church, uh, going through the cancer. But she said, Lord, you've comforted me so much. Where are the hurting women? I want to find them so I can tell them about how you love them and will comfort them in their pain. That's not somebody who's doing that just in her own strength. That's somebody who has been changed, who has a power inside of her that's not of her own. So where did she go? She went to the local jail. She went to the place where she could find hurting people, in this case, hurting women. She started Bible studies there. I did not know any women who understood the grief and pain that I was going through, she said, when she was talking about her own journey. Uh, but she does know firsthand the challenges and heartaches facing many of the women in the prison where she helps. She says, I'm not the savior type. I, I give them tough love, sharing hard counsel, uh, you know, women guilty of heinous crimes, but they know that I love them. One of the stories, uh, one of the people that she in interacted with was a woman named Honey. She shared the gospel with Honey over and over for years as Honey was still going to this Bible study. Eventually, Honey hit rock bottom. Eileen continued to love her and offer her encouragement. She was never judgmental. Uh, she always spoke the truth. Finally, honey says, I completely surrendered my life to Jesus. In a letter that honey shared with Eileen not long ago, honey recounts the darkness in her life that leads to her drug addiction. 
but she says she's been clean and sober. Uh, her life is turned over to Jesus. Eileen has been a light to me throughout the many phases of my life, and I thank God for her. How many places do we go this week transformed by the power of Jesus where we shine the light, where we, we bring the hope of the one who has a mission that goes beyond just the Jews, goes beyond the church, to the Canaanites, the Gentile, the very secular people in our society, and it invites us all, it invites us all to come and to find ourselves before the Savior. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for this word. We thank you for its, uh, we thank you for its challenge. But even more than that, we thank you for its promise. The promise that when we come like this woman, you see our hearts. You go beyond our, our circumstances, where we've been, what we've done, where we were born, what our lineage is, what our background is, and you welcome us at your feet. Lord, we pray that you would indeed hear our humble cries this morning. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.